Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, you forgot a Bible, there are people uh, coming up the aisles right now. I'd love to get a Bible in your hands. If you throw your hand up to grab one of these, if you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up. Take this home as our gift to you, but grab a copy of God's Word and go to the book of Exodus. Easy to find. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Exodus chapter 7. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 7, you know, when I was a kid, I don't know if it was like this for you growing up, or maybe you're a kid right now, and and I don't know if it still happens today, but when I was a kid, on the playground, one of the big battles we often had in the playground was this, my dad can beat up your dad. Do you guys have that, right? Mostly it's dudes who do that. I don't think girls have that same battle, right? But we kind of had this thing, my dad could beat up your dad. And I remember in grade four, now, I didn't want to tell my buddies, so here's the thing. I grew up when my dad was a pastor. I didn't want to tell my buddies that my dad was a preacher because preachers can't beat up anybody, all right? Like my, my kids, they're, they're losing this battle every time in the playground. Look at me. I'm not beating up anyone, right? And so what I did was I told all my buddies in grade four, I said, hey, hey, yeah, my dad could beat up your dad. They're like, really, really? I said, yeah, his, na- his name's Jill Gerard. That's my dad. And you're thinking, Jill Gerard, what a lame name. You, could you not think of a manlier dude named than Jill Gerard? Here's the thing. Jill Gerard was this guy who played Buck Rogers in this awesome 70s TV. TV show called Buck Rogers. Anybody remember Buck Rogers? Okay, yeah, all right, all right. If you were like around in the 70s, it was this amazing show. So, so this guy, Jill Gerard, he played Buck Rogers. And Buck Rogers, he went up into space and he was frozen in space. And then they, they reawoken him. He got woken back up again, thawed out thousands of years later. So he's this, this gunslinging dude in space. And he was like the toughest guy I could think of as a little grade four, right? I'm thinking, that's my dad then. I'm gonna tell. Now, I, I could have picked Lee Majors. He was a $6 million man. But in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way they're gonna believe that. But they'll believe Buck Rogers, right? And so I'm like, yeah, my dad's Buck Rogers. He could totally beat up your dad. And now my friends eventually told their parents that and their parents told my parents and I got in a lot of trouble for that one. But here's the thing, in, in the book of Exodus, as we're unpacking this chapter this morning, here's what we're gonna see. You're gonna see kind of this, this same sort of thing play out in, in the book of Exodus where Moses is coming before Pharaoh and he's saying, hey, I wanna tell you about the one true God. And this one true God is stronger, is greater, is mightier than all your other so-called gods. In fact, God took Moses and said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. And Pharaoh's response was this. You could, you could imagine in the playground. Yeah, who's your God? Who is this Lord? And, and Pharaoh's basically saying, hey, my God's including himself, because Pharaoh would have thought of himself as a God. He goes, I'm stronger than this this puny God of of slaves that I've never heard about. And so in chapter seven and, and, and the verses and chapters following, what do we see? We see God show up to show Pharaoh, hey, here's who I actually am. In a very real way, we see God bring what we call the plagues onto Egypt in a way of saying, I'm stronger than your so-called gods. And we're going to talk more about the plagues in the weeks to come. We'll unpack these chapters a little more. But here's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see how Pharaoh responds to God saying, I am the Lord. And what we're going to see is, hopefully as you see how Pharaoh responds, we're going to see that we're a little bit more like Pharaoh than we'd care to admit. How much our hearts can look like Pharaoh's heart. Specifically looking at Pharaoh's hard heart how our hearts can look like that. What's it look like for my heart to be hardened toward God? What's it look like for for my heart to be opposed to God? How how do I diagnose that? How do I see where God's pressing maybe in on me, maybe even today, this morning, that he would bring me out to church today to say, hey, I'm, I'm calling to you. Your heart is hard. 
So let me catch us up before we jump into chapter seven, because we got six chapters before this, right? So here's what's going on. The people of God are oppressed and struggling and suffering in slavery in Egypt. They've been there for hundreds of years. And, and then and under this, this wicked king, he's called Pharaoh. Pharaoh's just another word for king. He's one of the many pharaohs that, that would have been over Egypt, but he's just called Pharaoh here. And the, the people of, of God, they come to this place of desperation. And as a last resort, and how often do we do this as a last resort when we know it should be our first resort, they cry out to God. God, we need you. God, we're helpless here. God, would you, would you intervene? Would you rescue? And so God calls this guy Moses. He's a guy with a busted up past. His family tree is pretty messed up. He has a, a broken life, but God pours out his grace on Moses and says, Moses, I'm gonna use you. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. Go, go with your brother Aaron and tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can worship me. And so here we catch up to chapter seven and and God's about to bring on this judgment on Pharaoh, these, these plagues. And the plagues have been sent to what? To, to loosen Pharaoh's grip on God's people. To clearly show Pharaoh that God is the only true God. Now, now, now we're going to see Pharaoh's heart react to this. But before I, want, before I do that, I want us to understand when I say heart, what do I mean when I'm talking about our heart? It's important for us to get a, a good biblical understanding of what our heart is. You know, oftentimes when we think of heart, we think of it in one of two ways. We, we think of it as this, this organ inside our body that pumps blood and gives us life. So if, if you were to ask some people, hey, how's your heart? You're asking that because maybe they've had some heart trouble and you're wondering, hey, like literally, how's your physical heart doing, right? Or, or we think of our heart in terms of our feelings and our emotions. So, so when you say, how's your heart? You're, you're wondering, hey, was Valentine's Day okay last week, right? That's what you're kind of asking. How is your heart doing? But when, when the Bible talks about our hearts, it doesn't describe our hearts that way. All the way through scripture, when we read about our hearts, when the Bible talks about the heart of a person, it's talking about, listen, the core of who we are. And then out of that core, out of that center of who we are, that heart, as the Bible would call it, out of that core comes all our thoughts, all our actions, all our reactions, all our emotions, all our convictions, all our beliefs. It all flows out of what the Bible would call our hearts. So, so really, when, when you think about the, when the Bible says your heart, the Bible's talking about the most important thing about you. So, so not your personality, not, not your looks, not the relationships you have, not the job you hold. What's key is your heart. And, and so Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 4.23, gives us this warning and it says this, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So, so the number one thing that we want to take stock of this morning, that we want to pay attention to is this question, hey, how's my heart? How's my heart? But here's the problem for most of us. We, we spend most of our energy, most of our prayers, most of our time not thinking about our hearts. We think about the, uh, the things going on all around us. Everything but our hearts. And we, we have this idea that, that what's out there, that's what's important. And, and what happens out there, that, that's the core of who I am. That's what changes me. And scripture steps in and says, no, no, it's not what's going on out there. Like, no, 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 for real. If, if my spouse was a better spouse, then I would love them more. My heart would be towards them. If, if my circumstances were different, if my kids were okay, if I, if I had a relationship, if, if, if my church was just better at what it does, if my dreams were fulfilled, then, then I would have a heart of joy, 
heart of peace. If, if God blessed me with better finances, then I'd have a heart of generosity. I think what we've seen so far in this series going through the book of Exodus is, is that our circumstances are great at revealing what's actually going on in our hearts. Now listen as I say this. I'm not discounting that there are, that there are circumstances, that, that, that people, that things around us don't impact our hearts. We're not just big old hearts walking around, right? We're, we're inside a body, so our body does affect us. And so there, there, there are times we have to say, you know what, I need to take care of myself physiologically because there's, there's an impact in my heart. We're, we're surrounded by people. We have relationships with people, and they impact us. And we live in a fallen world that presses in on our hearts constantly. And, and there'd be stories across this room right now of, of hurt, of abuse, of abandonment, of brokenness, of struggle. It's why as a church, we're called to come alongside each other to lighten that load, to care for each other, to pour out our lives for each other. That's what we're called to do for and with each other. But as we do that, we also recognize this, our outside circumstances that's not the ultimate answer to our problems. People changing around us is not the ultimate answer to our problems. All through God's word, all the way from Genesis right through to Revelation, we see over and over again, it's about our hearts. That's where it starts. And, and here's where we have more in common with Pharaoh than we'd like to admit. Oftentimes we bust open God's word. We're like, hey, who's the hero? Because I want to align myself with them. That's kind of what I'm like. I'd be the Moses of this story. And yet when we read through this, maybe we'll see more often than not, we look a lot like Pharaoh. And we like to believe that everybody has good hearts and we're kind of born with this idea. We, we think, well, when people are born, they're kind of all good and you choose good or you choose bad and hopefully you can weigh those out and, and the good weighs out the bad. And yet, yet we know through, through scripture, King David says this, he's confessing these sins he's committed. It broken like all 10 commandments. And, and in Psalm 51, here's what he says. He says, from my mother's womb, sin ruled my heart. Listen, left to ourselves on our own, we would not choose good. We would not choose God. Apart from God's grace, we would choose ourselves every day, all day long. Let me lift up my name above God's name. I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way, says it this clearly, says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, what we see all through Scripture is, is how much we need God's grace to change our hearts that, that it's God's work first, not our work. That, that God's the initiator that steps in to soften our hearts, to draw our hearts, to change our hearts. It's why we call it grace. Grace just means we didn't earn it at all. That, that nobody who stepped here in, in baptism gets up to say, hey, look what I did. I chose God because look how great I am. No, God's the one who steps in. Unearned, unchosen, but God steps in and then we praise God for that grace. So with that as our backdrop, let's, let's dig in. Let's, let's see Pharaoh's heart here and see where our hearts are this morning. Where's your heart? Because he, here's what we're going to learn. I want us to see the difference between a soft heart and a hard heart. So as, as we dig in, you're going to see first this, that a, a soft heart is a humble heart. But if you've got your Bibles open to Exodus 7, here we can see it played out. Verse 1 says, and the, and the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. 
but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. We're going to see, first of all, a, a, a soft heart is a humble heart. And we've got this conflict being set up. God, the creator God, up against these Egyptian gods. And the, and the big question that was asked by Pharaoh earlier on, and Moses even asked the same question, who are you? Who is this Lord? And then we call it the book of Exodus because it's a story of, of the people of Israel leaving, being set free. The, it's an exodus. And, and we, that's why we call it the book of Exodus. But you could also very easily just call it the book about God. I mean, really the whole way through, that's the whole thing. It's explaining who God is. It's expressing who God is. It's exposing this God to us. The whole purpose is for us to get to know God. And God wants Pharaoh to know something very specific about him. In fact, he says right in the very first verse there, what's he say? The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like a God to Pharaoh. You, Moses, you're, you're more than just a prophet. A prophet's one who speaks the words of God, and Moses did that for sure. But God's doing something here as a statement to Pharaoh's pride. You see, because in Egypt at this time, if you were a Pharaoh, you were considered a God. I mean, think about the most famous Pharaoh you know. Right? Not, not the one from the mummy movies, those are great movies, all right? right? King Tut, right? We all kind of know King Tut. King Tut's full name, King Tutankhamun, right? And, and he reigned about a century after the Exodus. That, that's when T King Tutankhamun came in. And his name, Tutankhamun, it actually means the Im living image of Amon. Amon was a, an Egyptian god. And so, so Pharaoh, King Tut, King Tutankhamun, he was the image of God. Almost using the same language as verse 1 here, Pharaoh was like God to the Egyptians. But here, God steps in and goes, no, 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 Pharaoh, you're not a God to Moses. Moses is God to you. You can imagine how that would just throw Pharaoh. He's like, wait a minute, Mo Moses, you, you, this ostracized half-breed trained in some godforsaken podunk town in the Midian desert? You come back here after you fled Egypt in terror because of you killed a man and now you, you come identifying yourself with these slaves and now, now you tell me, Moses, who's God to whom in this picture? Like Pharaoh will be saying, I am God. I'm definitely God to you, Moses. The Lord says, no, actually, it's the opposite, Pharaoh. This elderly shepherd, vagabond Moses, who's come to free a bunch of slaves from your hand, he shall be God to you. Listen, listen, we all need humility. Every one of us need humility. And, and some of us here, some of us will embrace humility willingly. And others of us, God will have to press it in on us. I'm telling you, there's an easy way and there's a hard way in that equation. Whether you choose humility or whether God says, I'm going to press humility on you. But James 4, 6 says this, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if, if you want the God of the universe against you, then stand up in pride. Make yourself the focus. Make your opinion the highest. Make your needs the most important. 
Make sure you deserve better. Make sure you don't need anybody but yourself. But if you want God to be for you, if you want God to help you, then be humble enough to admit that you can't save yourself, that, that only, only God could do that work through his son, Christ, that, that God can then step in because God loves to give grace to the humble. And may, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, you're like man, I, I, I can't believe I'm even here. I barely could get out of bed this morning. I can't handle all the things that are coming at me in my life. I, I can't handle the things that are going on in my family. Or, or maybe you think, man, all the work I'm pouring out as a parent, man, it seems so small and so insignificant. Man, everything I'm doing as a spouse, it, it seems so inadequate to, to what's needed. Everything I do as a Christ follower, I, I feel so weak in this. And listen, in church language, we can lift up guys like Moses as, as these heroes. But, but listen, Moses had to get to a point where he was a nobody. And when he got there, God said, I'll use you, Moses. You think about a guy like Elijah, a powerful prophet. Yeah, what happened to Elijah? Elijah got so depressed, he went up to a mountain and just said, God, I don't want to live anymore. I'm done doing this. And what did God do? Did God come and crush Elijah? No, it says God actually brought him dinner. He brought him dinner and gave him rest and came alongside of him. If you feel like a failure, if, if you feel weak, if, if you've come to the end of yourself, listen, this is so key here. This is the key. If, if you're reaching up in that moment, if you're reaching for God saying, God, I need you. Listen, I'm, I'm preaching to the, the few people who, who, who came in here who didn't come in here with angels' wings on. Like you came in here pretty honest, right? Pretty open to where you're at. Listen, listen, when you're in that place of a desperate, humble person, the one who knows outside of Jesus, I have nothing to offer. You're the person that Jesus loves to bless. Amen, amen. And so what do we see? We see in Moses, the humble like Moses are actually more than they seem. Well, the, the proud like Pharaoh are much less than they imagine, right? The humble like Moses are, are more than they seem and the proud like Pharaoh are, are a lot less than they imagine. And God says, I'm gonna use this humble, broken man named Moses. I, I love how D.L. Moody, famous preacher once said this. He said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody. Then he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert realizing he was a nobody. Finally, he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. Right? A soft heart is a humble heart. A soft heart's also a faithful heart. Out of that humility, we see Moses saying, God, I, I have nothing to offer. I am nothing apart from you. And so out of that humility, he says, God, whatever you call me to do, I'll do. And I mean, God called him to do something pretty hard. Moses just humbly follows God. Remember he said, hey Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but just so you know, he's not gonna do it. He's gonna fight against you. He's not gonna listen to you. But look at verse six of chapter seven. Moses and Aaron did so. They did what God called them to do. They did just as the Lord commanded them. I mean, God told Moses all the way back in chapter four, Pharaoh's heart is gonna be hard. He's not gonna listen to you. This is going to be impossibly hard. But in humility and in faith, he follows the Lord. So, so, so you have Pharaoh, the opposite of humility, the opposite of faithfulness. Now, now, just understand, Pharaoh wasn't an atheist. 
But he believed in gods. He believed in the God of rain. He believed in a, a God of harvest, a God of fertility. And, and he put his hope in those other gods. It's not like he wasn't a spiritual guy. Pharaoh go, I'm very spiritual. I think about spiritual things all the time. He just said, I'm just unimpressed with this God. In fact, I think in that way, Pharaoh's a lot more like us than we care to admit. And he's not saying that God isn't real. He's just not gonna humbly put his faith, his trust in him. He's, he's holding on to a lot of other things saying these things will give me more hope. I've heard one preacher say it this way, that Christians oftentimes live as functional atheists. We talk a lot about God. We sing a lot about God. But then we, we roll out of church and we look for so many other things. Man, I need this to give me hope. I need this to give me peace. We put our hope in so many other saviors. And God says, listen, I am the Lord. But in reality, we're, we're kind of unimpressed with him. And so we lean on other things more. Now, before I move on here, we're going to unpack Pharaoh's heart a little bit. I, I think I need to, to, for us to wrestle down with something really quickly here. And maybe you caught it as I was reading through these verses. There's something that, that, about hard hearts and soft hearts. I can't just blow by it. Right? There, there are two things happening with Pharaoh's heart here. Right, look at verse 3 of chapter 7. What's it say? It says, God speaking says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Turn chapter eight, go over page to chapter eight. Look at verse 15 of chapter eight. It says, when Pharaoh saw there was a respite because God let up on one of these plagues, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. Look at verse 32. But Pharaoh of chapter eight, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let his people go. So you have on one hand, God hardened Pharaoh's heart then you also have Pharaoh harden his own heart. In fact, when you read through Exodus, it's about 10 times each. You see about 10 times where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart and 10 times Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so what, how do we unpack that? I mean, we don't have time this morning to fully unpack this, right? How, how do we unpack? How do we, how do we reconcile God's sovereignty and our responsibility? In, in salvation, how, how do we reconcile the fact that scripture is so crystal clear that God is the initiator in salvation? We, we don't all of a sudden go, oh, wow, I need God. It's, it's not us, oh, and I'm so much better than my pagan neighbor because I've got humility to reach out to God and, and realize my need of him. No, no, scripture's pretty clear that God's the one who does the work. In fact, scripture says we're dead in our sin. Not a lot of dead people sitting up at funerals going, I think I need to be alive today, right? God's the one who reaches in and changes their heart. And yet, yet also in scripture, we're called to choose. We're called to follow after God. And here's where our struggle lies. There's this belief, well, it has to be one or the other. Either God hardens the heart or, or we're responsible for the hardening of our own hearts. So which one is it? Yes, <laughs> that's the answer. I mean, here's what the Bible so clearly teaches. So clearly teaches that God is completely and utterly sovereign, in control. And yet here's the other piece. While God is totally sovereign, we are also responsible for our actions. You're sitting there going, wait a minute, what? 
So one plus one equals one. How, how does this work? I do not understand how this, like, welcome to the faith family, right? Welcome to a family of men and women who serve a God whose mind and actions are so far beyond ours, right? And, and listen, listen, we don't have to be afraid to embrace that truth. I mean, praise God that we, don't, we, we do not have a God that we can put in this nice little box and go, here's everything fully explained. I've got it all figured out. No, no, there are some things about God that we just do not get. And he is infinite and he is perfect in wisdom and, and we can't figure him out. Hallelujah. There's so many other foundational doctrines like this. So you're saying God's the one who does all the work. Yes. But you're saying I'm still held responsible. Yes. Here's another, another foundational doctrine. Scripture says this in, in the book of John. It says that Jesus came and he came as God. He was fully God, the one who's involved in creation. And John's saying he is 100% God. Jesus is. And then later in John, he also talks about Jesus is, is also 100% man. How's that work? I, I could get he's kind of, sort of God while he's sort of at the same time. No, no, no. No, he's 100. So 100 plus 100 equals 100? fully God, fully man. And we embrace that. Scripture also says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not 70% grace, 30% truth. No, no, 100% grace, 100% truth. I mean, praise God that, that there are these things that, that, man, I can't get my head wrapped around it. But what can happen is we can say, man, if, if I can just make sense of God, then, then it'll seep into my heart. Then, then if I can make sense of him, I can submit to him. The Bible says something different. The Bible says your heart is softened even in the midst of the mystery. In fact, your heart is humbled by that mystery. We have a soft heart when we're okay with the mystery. When we can say, God, you are God and I am not. And God, I'm gonna trust you in the unknowing. That's a soft heart. That's a faithful heart. That's a, a following heart. That's a humble heart. Yeah, with Pharaoh, we see a hard heart. What are some of the symptoms of a hard heart? Look at verse eight of chapter seven. It says, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Look what's going on here. You've got these, these magicians, these, these, these sorcerers of Pharaoh. Now, they're not doing a pen and teller thing here. It's not by sleight of hand. They're making sticks look like snakes. Okay, it's not like, hey, I got a snake up my sleeve. Let's do this, right? It's not that. How does it say? It says by secret arts. And here's what I got to believe. Listen, Satan is not weak, right? Satan has power. Satan can do things. He is powerful. But what, what we're seeing here in chapter seven and then the, the chapters to follow, God is more powerful. Satan can do some things, but, but God's power, I love the word, he's, he swallows him up. You're going to see the same word used later as, as Pharaoh goes after the Israelites, after they escape, after they're walking through the Dead Sea, and, the dead, and uh, through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea swallows up Pharaoh and his army. Same word. 
Remember again, King Tut, if you, you remember seeing those pictures in National Geographic of King Tut's face mask, what was on the front, the forehead of his face mask was a cobra, was a snake. That's important because in Egyptian culture this time, the, the snake was, was meant to be, this is our power. This is who we are. We have the snake and, and also the, the staff that a Pharaoh would carry, the rod he had, he would call it the rod of God. What happens here? They throw the rods down. They do something so similar. And they're, like, they're like, hey, we can do the same thing. And God says, I'm more powerful than you are. But what happens? Verse 23, or sorry, Pharaoh just was like, I'm not impressed with it. It doesn't, I've seen the same thing. He's so completely unimpressed. Why? Why? Because here's a symptom of a hard heart. Pharaoh had a stubborn heart. He had a stubborn heart. In fact, look again at verse 23 of chapter 7. He's going to do the same thing again. God's going to show up in the first plague, turn the, the, the river Nile to blood, but the magicians do kind of the same sort of thing. And so look at verse 23. Pharaoh turned away and went into his house. He did not take even this to heart. His heart was so stubborn. What did God do? God, God stepped in and go, I'm going to change the river Nile. I'm going to turn it to blood. I'm going to wreak havoc on your nation because the river Nile was the center of their finances. It was their life. Everything takes place. And God says, I'm destroying that. I'm showing my power over that. The magicians do something kind of similar. And Pharaoh's like, that doesn't impress me. His heart was so stubborn. So God continues on. The next plague he brings out are frogs and he brings out tons of them. I mean, they, they, they annoy Pharaoh so much, these frogs. He's like, Moses, seriously, frogs? Like, really? I, gotta, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God, how did you think of these? These are awesome, right? And, and he's so frustrated by these frogs. Pharaoh comes to Moses and goes, come on in. Okay, take them away. Take them away and I'll let you go. But he doesn't. His heart's stubborn. He still doesn't. Look at chapter eight. Go Go to verse 19. God then sends gnats next, right? These, these, little, these little bugs come next. But look, look at verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Even the magician is going, man, we can't do that one. There's something more powerful at work here. But look what it says. It goes on. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. A hard heart just won't listen. Listen, every time we reject God, every time we don't believe in him, every time we don't agree with God and his word, it is 100% a hard heart. It's, it's not just, well, I kind of disagree with God on this one. No, no, a soft heart comes up against things that we don't understand and says, God, God, this is hard. The situation that I'm in, this life situation, it's so difficult. And a soft heart says, God, I don't understand this. I don't get why you've called me to something that's so different than what our culture is saying. And I've got to stand up and look so different than culture. I don't get this. God, God, this situation I'm in right now, it's so hard for me to believe your promises. And a soft heart says, God, it doesn't make sense, but I trust you. But a hard heart, a hard heart will find anything that opposes God will say, yeah, that's, per that's persuasive. I I I'll buy that. It's a hard heart. So let me ask you this. Are there certain things that God calls us to in Scripture and you push against them? Listen, it might be an understanding problem. It might be something, man, I don't, I don't know if I quite get what God's saying here, but, but maybe first and foremost, maybe, maybe it's a heart problem. Maybe it's a command you know and you still just, 
I'm going to avoid that one. Or maybe you straight up say, I just don't care what God calls me to here. Listen, it's a hard heart. You know what God's called you to as a spouse, as a husband or a wife. You know clearly what God's called you, how to live it out, and you avoid it, you, you oppose it, you excuse it. You know what God's called you to, to live out your life, whether at work or at school, and you fake it. And I remember being a young man, and, and I was so burned by church. Listen, as a pastor's kid, you get to see behind the scenes of some things, all right? So you see a lot of the good things front row, but you also see a lot of the hard things, right? And, and I remember seeing my dad get so beat up, and then I remember going to church and, and me getting so wrecked. And go, man, man, it was all just pounding and, and all just harshness. And so I'm like, forget this. I'm done with this. And I walked away. Now, now, I knew scripture. I knew that God had called us to, in Hebrews it says, don't forsake meeting together, encouraging each other while today is called today. Don't stop worshiping together. And I said, you know what, God? Yeah, I hear you saying that, but I got, I got different plans. Maybe I'll just hang out with some Christian buddies whenever we get together. And, and, and no matter what God's word said, no matter how much his spirit pressed in on me, man, I was so stubborn, I would push him away on this one. I wonder what that looks like for you. What are those areas in your life, even right now, you, you, you would say, God, you've been so clear about this, but, but this pushes against my comfort. This, this pushes against my control. This pushes against the ideas I have of how things should be and you're unwilling to move. Yeah, but I, I can't forgive that person. You don't, you don't know how they hurt me. And, and listen, there are, are circumstances all across this room that make life hard. But according to God's word, the reason we would refuse, the reason we would hold on to bitterness is a hard heart. So what's it in your life? Maybe it's not just one simple thing. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's a few things. You're just wrestling with it and you're saying, God, not here, not this. Don't touch this. Don't press here. Don't call me to that. And your heart is stubborn. Here's another symptom though of a hard heart. And it's not just stubborn. If our heart is hard, it also begins to negotiate. Maybe you're not so stand up and go, God, forget that. Maybe you start to bargain with God. Because the next plague God brings are flies, tons of flies. Man, I hate flies. How many of you got that, that spring problem where all of a sudden your house, like you're like, this is a plague right now. There's a plague of flies in my home, right? I hate that. I hate, I mean, I just see, I'm like, flies are just so stupid. I hate the stupid fly that all it does is just spin on its back in the middle of the floor. What are you doing, right? <laughs> or 24-7 just banging against that window, bang, bang, bang. Or that, that, that crazy kind of half-dead fly that kind of flies and just hangs on your face. Like, what? Get off. I just, I hate flies. So I, I get it why Pharaoh's like, man, enough with the flies. Look at verse 28 of chapter, um, chapter eight. It says, so Pharaoh said, I'll let you go sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. He's like, I'll do it. Just get rid of these flies. He says, only you must go not very far away. So Pharaoh begins to make deals. Okay, okay, I get it. I don't, I don't want these flies, so, so you can go, but, but don't go too far. God, good job on the flies. <laughs> that was a crazy one, so I'm gonna do this, but, but, but what he, he's negotiating with God. He, he does it again in chapter 10. He says, okay, okay, you can go, but you can't take your kids. Leave your kids with me. Like, that sounds like a good plan. We'll let Pharaoh take care of our kids, right? 
Later in chapter 10, he says, okay, you can go, but leave your livestock with me. Leave all your possessions, all your goods, everything that you have, you leave it with me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you can go, leave your kids, leave your stuff. It's collateral. He's saying, you can go, but man, you're coming back and I'm going to make sure you come back. I'll give you this much, but I still want control. And, and listen, don't be, don't be misguided as you're reading through this. Don't, don't be thinking, man, I think Pharaoh's heart is starting to soften here. He's starting to loosen up his grip. His heart's just as hard. I mean, God's been so clear with Pharaoh. Here it is, Pharaoh. Here's what I ask of you. You let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I hear you, God. But what do you say we just swing by Tim Hortons for a bit? We'll get a coffee. We'll talk this thing out. Maybe you can move halfway. I'll move halfway. We can come to an agreement on this. And Most of us aren't in full out rebellion against God, but how many of us are negotiating with him? Listen, it's a hard heart. God, I'll serve you, but I'm only going to serve you this much and I'm only going to serve when it fits my schedule. God, I'll give to your mission, but I'm not going to give sacrificially. Is that cool? Are we cool with that, God? Hey, God, I'll be, I'll be pure in my actions towards the opposite sex, but don't press in on my thought life. And God, for sure, you stay out of my search history on my computer and we'll be okay. God, God I... I I'll be honest. I'll be honest with most things, God. But, but I mean, I got to cheat on my taxes a little bit. Have you, have you seen the Pharaoh of Canada? Like, this is difficult, all right? <laughs> God, I know you've called me to obedience, but, but how about I just pray about this a little more? God, God, why don't we grab a cup of coffee and talk this thing out? Listen, listen, there are areas in our life that we will struggle to follow God. The Bible will call that sanctification, where we're growing more and more like Christ. And we'll, we'll struggle in that, but we're growing and we're moving. But listen, a hard heart sees the struggle and says, I don't want anything to do with this. And we avoid it. We, we say things like, well, God doesn't really mean that. Or, or, or how about this one? I mean, I, I catch myself doing this a lot where I start to justify my sin. Okay, okay God, like, 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 yeah, I know I'm unforgiving towards this person, but do you see how much money I give to the church? I'm super generous. Or, or, yeah, God, I know I don't give, but man, I pray a lot. That's my sacrifice. I give a, a sacrifice of prayer. God, listen, I know I'm that angry guy and I'm so mad, but man, my doctrine is so pure. God, yeah, yeah, I know I'm living in complete rebellion to you, but I'm so loving to people. A soft heart is humble and broken and sorrowful over sin and seeks the Lord and looks for other behavior. Would you come help me as I, as I am sanctified, as I'm growing more like Christ and we reach out? That's what a humble, soft heart does. Here's the danger of even this sermon right now. A hard heart will hear a sermon like this and assume they're okay. And the soft hearts in this room, you'll leave here thinking, maybe my heart's hard. Listen, if you're wrestling towards the cross, if, you, if, if, if you're moving towards Christ, if you're dropping the pride, if you're dropping the justification, if, you, if you're reaching out for God's grace, listen, keep moving. That's a soft heart. A soft heart is not a, a perfect Christian. There's no such thing as that. A soft heart is a heart that's struggling towards the cross. Here's the core issue with a hard heart, though. A hard heart just doesn't trust God's good. A hard heart negotiates, why? Because saying, God, I don't trust you have goodness for me. At the center of a hard heart is a heart that does not trust the goodness of God. 
And if you have kids, maybe you've seen this play out in your home, right? Like, I love it when something goes down in our home. Most of our kids were younger. It was like this, but even now as you're getting older and you hear something, you know something's happened, right? Because a big crash happens in a room where they're, they're in there and one starts crying, right? And so you, you just go and, and I'm not going mad. I'm not going, I'm just going, hey, let's figure it out. And I just open the door and instantly one of them like has, has completely lawyered up already, right? And they're like beginning the, no, you don't understand, dad. You don't know what you said. Like, I just opened, I'm not even, I, I, I didn't, I have not said, and they're like, no, no, stop, 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 stop. And then the, the sibling's like, yeah, but dad, no, 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 you don't say anything. I want it, right? And they're just instantly going after, trying to, trying to make sure, let me get my thing out. Why? why? I mean, you don't want to ask him that moment. Don't you think I love you? I mean, don't you think I'll be fair? I mean, do you think that me and your, your two other sisters, we've got this conspiracy thing going that, that for years we're like, hey, let's mess with her, all right? Whenever she does something, here's our plan, and, right? You just want to ask as a dad, don't you? You want to ask, don't, don't you trust me that I'm for you, that I love you, that, that even if I even mess this up, that I'll repent? Listen, that's a very imperfect dad dealing with a daughter. I mean, the reason we don't trust is our hearts have been hardened to no longer believe that God, the Father, is greater than we could ever imagine. He's, he's kinder, he's more compassionate, he's more gentle, he's, he's, he's truly for our joy. And so when God asks us to step outside, to do something difficult, to step out from our culture, to step out from what we think, man, this is what I want, and God's called us out of that, listen, we can trust him because we know he's a good dad. Amen. And what happens is when we distrust, when we try to negotiate, when we hold back, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you. God, I get you're going to give me a little bit of joy, but I think as soon as I step out, you're just going to be, and you're going to crush me. Listen, God brought down his wrath on sin completely on the cross. So we don't have to face that wrath ever again. So here, let me wrap up with this. You might be asking this, man, what do I do with a hard heart? Like, I, I see that I, I have a tendency towards a hard heart. Like, if, if, if I were just like, hey, let's close in prayer. Let's, I mean, that would be a horrible sermon. Hey, you suck, I suck, we all suck, let me pray. Right, that's, that's a terrible way to end this, right? What, where's our hope in this? Here's the good news. Listen, hard hearts are why, G, why Jesus came. Why, why do we land every Sunday on the gospel? Why do we, why do we always see Christ in this? Because it's our hope, it's our joy, it's why Christ came and lived the life that you could not live, a perfect life. Why he died the death that we should have died because of our sin and rebellion and hard hearts towards God. Jesus died that death in our place. Three days later, he showed the victory he had over death and over sin once and for all. And so, so at the cross, we have what theologians would call the great exchange where we bring our brokenness, our fear, our struggles, we bring the hard heart, we give it to Christ, and he takes our hard hearts, the hardness of our past, our present, man, even our future. How awesome is that? It's not just like, yeah, all the stuff you did, but I don't know about what's coming. No, 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 he takes it all, and how amazing. He takes all the hardness of our hearts, and he gives us his own heart. I mean, the, the ones who God calls to himself, when, when we're submitted to him, we entrust our lives to him, he take our hard hearts and he says, I'm gonna give you the heart of Christ.
I mean, that's why the gospel is good news. That, that's why, why I don't have a sermon that would end with, hey, here are five ways to soften your heart, right? We can't do this. It, it's not like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll wait for the worship song at the end and probably by the second verse, then I'll be like really moved because I think the music's gonna be so good and, and it'll be out there that I, I'm all in on the soft heart thing. Here's what really happens. We come before God and we say, God, I don't understand everything about you, but I I know you're holy. I know you're good. I know you're compassionate. I know you're kind. I, I know you're completely trustworthy. And I also know this, you are powerful enough to change my hard heart. God, would you do that? The worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna end off this morning. We are gonna sing together, but Listen, as they come up, as, as we sing, here's, here's what I'd like you to do. Maybe this morning for you, it's the morning you take that first step of humility. Where you recognize, yeah, my heart is hard. I see that. And maybe for you, it's gonna be a step of humility where, where we're all standing to sing. You go, man, I'm not standing to sing this. I'm getting on my knees where I am. I'm coming up to the front to get on my knees before God and I'm gonna step out. I mean, I don't care what people think about me because that's a hard heart that would care about that. I just wanna be where Christ is. I want God to do a work that I know I can't do. And you take that step of humility. John 7, Jesus said this. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, that's our hope. Our, our hope is not that we have this whole thing figured out. Our hope is that we humbly come. That, the, that we forget about trying to look good in front of other people, we come. We say, God, would you change my heart? God, I'm done living this double life. God, I'm done caring so much about what everybody else thinks. God, God, I'm done negotiating with you, but in, a, in a, an act of a softened, humble heart, you come to God. You say, God, would you change my heart? Hebrews 4, 7 says this, today if you hear his voice, if you heard God's voice this morning, it says this, if you heard his voice, do not harden your hearts. I mean, the first evidence of a heart that's softened is this, that you come humbly before God and ask him to soften your heart. God, thank you that you begin to soften it before I even asked. So would you stand with me as the worst team leads us? If you need to make some things right with God, if, if you're like, God, I want you to, I need you to soften my heart this morning, then, then make a move. Make, make a move where you are right now to call out Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to come forward as an act of humility. Say, God, this is what I need. After you bow your heads right now, I'm, I'm gonna lead us out. I'm gonna pray for us even right now. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that right now there is no better time than, than this moment. With, with fellow brothers and sisters and friends who are so burdened and bloodied by sin in, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our history that we bring with us. Lord God, with hard hearts, we come. Father, I, I'm starting with myself. God, I need your grace. Lord God, all of us, 
at the foot of the cross or on this level ground, needing your grace to change our hearts. So Father, I pray that right now you'd be so gracious to expose where we're stubborn. Show us where we're trying to negotiate with you. God, reveal where we're, we're excusing sin and justifying it. God, where we're refusing to let you have your way in us. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Even we don't understand what you're doing. God, you soften the hearts of those who are holding on to bitterness. Would you soften the hearts of those holding on to fear? God, especially those who have never laid down their lives to receive you as Savior, as King, as Lord. God, would you soften hearts this morning so that, so that we can sing to you a, a community of, of broken people whose hearts, though, are softened to see and to hear and to celebrate your amazing grace through Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.